Welcome back to The Threes, the show where we try to find out what it's like for all the people in our lives who don't have type 1, but are affected by it somehow. In this episode, we have Courtney and her husband, Kevin. As you'll soon hear them talk about, Kevin knew Courtney before she was diagnosed with type 1. So Kevin has been living with it, or adjacent to it, as we'll say, as long as Courtney has. But even though type 1 has been in their lives for the same amount of time, it's funny to see how their different personalities create a slightly different relationship to the disease. Now, when I came up with the idea for this show, I thought it'd be a fun way to see how type 1 spills over into our friends' and family's lives, such as the foods we keep in the house or what happens when a CGM goes off in the middle of the night. But what I didn't realize is maybe how important it was for these conversations to happen, not just for us, the listeners, to hear, but for the people in the interview. It's kind of a diabetes couples therapy, a way for people to talk about living with type 1 in a way that none of us probably ever do. Courtney and Kevin do this, maybe without them planning to, but along the way, we get to hear a really fun conversation. And at that, I'll leave it to them. Take it away, guys. Okay, so hey, everybody. I'm Courtney, um, and I'm sitting here with my husband, Kevin. Um, I am the type one of the group or of the couple, and Kevin is the type three. Um, I'll let him introduce himself real quick. Uh, hi, I'm Kevin. As Courtney said, I'm the type three of this group. I'm not really sure how much more introduction was I supposed to do than that. Um, I think we I guess were- I'll say I was, I've been a type three since I was um, <laughs> 15. I had early diagnosis to the type three uh, crowd since I was 15. Yeah. Yeah. So for some background, um, I was diagnosed when I was 15 and um, Kevin oh, and I- There's the Dexcom. Yeah. The Dexcom is already um, alerting Don't edit me. Don't that out. Yeah. Sorry, the Dexcom just alerted me. Um, For some background, I was diagnosed with type 1 when I was 15, and Kevin was actually around back then. Um, We are in our um, low to mid-30s right now, so we have been on this journey together for um, a long while. I'm an attorney in Mississippi, and Kevin, do you want to say what you do? Uh, I work in research at a university. Yeah, so... um, you know, we've got an interesting journey in that we did not meet when we were adults. Um, uh, Kevin was there for the diagnosis as well as kind of all the the iterations of my relationship with type one, as well as his relationship with my type one. Um, so he's a he's a longtime type threeer. Um, yeah, it's pretty difficult when we sat down to talk about what we were going to talk about, the topics we were going to cover. It is. I don't really recall much about you before you were type one. I yeah. Mean, I, know, I knew you for a year, a year or so. I was going to say around a year, but I don't really recall life before that. Yeah. So we us. started, we started dating and dating is in air quotes because I don't know how much someone really dates when they're 14 or 15, but um, we were dating for about a year before I was diagnosed. Um, so, you know, that was uh, 2000. So we're talking about pre, pre-cell phone, pre-Instagram, pre-text message. Um, so, Kev, like, let's start at the beginning of the T1D journey. Um, what do you remember about my diagnosis? I definitely remember you calling because I didn't have a cell phone. So you had to call, like, my house phone. Yeah. And I remember that. And this is, like, a bizarre point of the story. Uh, I do definitely remember because I had a waterbed, which is awesome. <laughs> Very awesome. Um, I don't know why I had a waterbed, but um, I did. 
And I remember being in the bed and you calling. I think you called and I didn't answer. Like my dad or somebody answered the phone and like yelled at me that you had called. And it was really early. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to go hunting that day, leave to go hunting somewhere out of town. That's what it was. We was going out of town. It wasn't like around town. And I didn't really grasp the seriousness of what you were telling me. Uh, I think you said because you didn't know. You thought you had. Well, I think let me let me back up a little bit so we so they know what we're talking about. So I had the same you know the normal symptoms everybody had you know the the hunger, frequent urination, um, extreme thirst, tiredness, and my mom actually took me to her like gynecologist because I had like a urinary tract infection, and I always have to give props to this really old man in tiny, uh, tiny town in Mississippi for being able to, um, recognize my symptoms of T1D. Uh, he thought to check my blood sugar and my blood sugar was like in the two fifties, but it wasn't super crazy. Like some people's are by the time they get diagnosed. Um, so he sent me to the hospital and then our hospital was not as great about T1D and did not understand really even the difference between the two, which is pretty scary. Um, I understood the difference just by reading a world book encyclopedia at my house. So they sent me home on pills and that was right before Christmas. And within a day or two, I had high ketones again. And a friend of mine, um, actually the only other type one person in Clarksdale, uh, her name was Kate and her mom tested my ketones and was immediately like, your ketones are back high. You need insulin. You're type one, you're 15, you're hundred pounds. We need to take you to Le Bonheur now. Um, so that is when I called you was to tell you that we were driving up to Le Bonheur and right. you know, I was really sick. I probably assumed that your mom was like overreacting. You probably she, did. <laughs> I don't know. She may listen to this podcast. She's going to get me, but uh, she <laughs> baby overreact a little bit sometimes. Um, and I thought that there's, I don't know if I even knew like what, type one diabetes, like what that yeah, was. I neither mean, I, of us did really. My grandmother was diabetic. I knew that. And she had to take shots, you know, all day long. She had these needles around her house. It was kind of weird and creepy, but I didn't, that's about the extent of my knowledge of it. Whereas I think you figured out probably an hour or two after that, that you had made a, a mistake by not coming to my house. Like I asked you to, to come yes, tell me by. I made right? a serious judgment, uh, <laughs> lapse in judgment there. So the end of that story is that, I was at Le Bonheur in Memphis, which was about an hour and a, a hour and a half away from Clarksdale. And Kevin and his friend drove up there in their hunting clothes. So I think you you learned the lesson really, really fast because yeah. you were up at the hospital very quickly. Shocked that my car made it there, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's 18 years ago. That, that, yeah, that was 18, 18 years, years ago. ago. That's yeah. true. So. Um, so we were only maybe in 10th grade at that point. So... I was thinking about it, trying to remember for this podcast or for this recording, and I cannot for the life of me remember many details about being diabetic in high school. Um, I think that may just be because I was in my honeymoon period, so it was a lot easier and I didn't have a Dexcom, so it wasn't, you know, it was kind of out of of sight, out of mind sometimes. What do you remember? Um, Do you remember anything about high school, like dating me? I remember... Um, it's like dating. I remember coming over to your house and this is like a bizarre like tangent that I remember from that is like coming over to your house when you're like a teenage boy, like if you listen to like my sister talk about my nephews now, they eat like everything in the house. Mm-hmm. And I can remember going to your house. Your mom was always like, oh, you want something to eat? And me and my, my friends and I were always just like, 
yes, we would love to eat all of your food. And your, your mom was always like real accommodating, always had all these snacks, always had red Cokes. And so we would come over there and just like pig out and drink red Cokes because your family was one of the few, at least that I knew, that always had Cokes like on hand, on tap. And we real mean Coke. real Cokes. Yeah, when I say red, I mean like the color of the can. Sure. And, As opposed uh, to a silver Coke, which is a Diet Coke. Yeah, or a gold dope Coke, which is a caffeine-free Diet Coke. Right. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I just remember like there was an immediate change in like the food choices that were available and all of those kind of things. And mainly the Coke thing. I just remember like your mom and that, I don't we may get into it later, but your mom was like a huge um, – advocate and supporter you know you have great family support to take care of it when you were that age but your mom immediately like all regular cokes were gone and everybody in the family like extended uncles aunts whatever had to get on board with that and there was no exceptions right and that's true and that's not to say that a type 1 diabetic can't drink a coke because they certainly can but in my family before um i was diagnosed we just if our if we were going to have a soft drink, it was just going to be a Coke, um, a regular Coke. And obviously, after I was diagnosed, I wasn't trying to give a bolus or give an injection for every Coke I was going to drink. So right, no, yeah. So just, very, yeah, very quickly after that in the hospital, they kind of suggested that. But one of the other things I'll say is um, how when we would be out, like say at a dance or something like that, and somebody, another person's parent might see you eating something and be like, Oh, is that, can you eat that? Or like at a birthday party or like mm-hmm. we used to go to a, a life team, which is like a little church group at the Catholic church. And parents would say stuff like they see you eating something. Cause it was always like dessert oriented. That's true. To, like, it was always dessert. Lure us to the church, you know? Um, and that's another podcast topic, but uh, you would get really frustrated when, people who maybe didn't know exactly what, you know, can you eat that? You know, that's like the worst phrase. When people say that, I just like cringe and I would want to like crawl away. Cause I know you were fixing to like get extremely angry. <laughs> Sometimes I would catch some of that anger, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think part of the reason why I don't remember a lot about high school was, I mean, even just shortly after the diagnosis as well was that, like you said, I don't think I had a really like real understanding of what was with the long term, I guess what, what I was going to be dealing with for long term. I think right at the beginning, I was just so interested in like, what am I supposed to do to feel better? Like, what is this medicine? Like, and I just kind of, I don't know, it all, it all kind of feels like a blur. And I wonder if a lot of that was not having a continuous glucose monitor because it really, you really don't have a visual um, manifestation of your, of the diabetes all day, every day. Do you remember like before the CGM? No, I don't like now you definitely, and I'm sure we're going to get into this later when we talk about like the CGM and the, the positives that it brings, but certainly sure. it also brings negatives because you're very aware of it at all times. And like, it can influence your mood. If you're in a perfectly good mood <laughs> and we're like doing something and you're perfectly fine, but then you get a bad number, it can really, you know, make you less, pleasant sure uh, immediately um just because especially if it's like a nonsensical number like if you've been doing again air quotes people can't see it but good and then you just get a really bizarre number that really is inexplicable it really can frustrate you which i understand but you know it can sometimes yeah that's true i think there's the ups mood. and downs to the cgm sometimes people think it's information overload yes. but then the the negative the op- opposite side of that is yeah, it puts me in a bad mood, but like, it, 
if I wasn't in a bad mood, it was just because I didn't know that my blood sugar was really high. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, the information, but it also affects you. Um, Definitely. But so speaking of that, so um, I should probably give some background there. I did start on an insulin pump about two months after my diagnosis, a Medtronic insulin pump. I had a Medtronic for about 16 years. Um, started on the Omnipod in January of 2017, um, and I've been a Dexcom user for about three years. Um, and the Dexcom is, is such a lifesaver, and we'll talk about that more because Kevin wore the Dexcom for a little bit, so um, he's got uh, really uh, first person, yeah. yeah, first person experience with that. But um, you know, we got older. We went to college. We got married. We've been married for 12 years. Um, we don't have any kids. Um, so let's just fast forward um, because I, I would love to fast forward through my college years of type one because I pretty much pretended like I didn't have it. Yeah, we just let it go. You know. Yeah, I don't. I, that wasn't a good time. Um, but yeah, once we got married, um, I think, you know, things the settled A1Cs down. The A1Cs came down. They did. They settled down a lot. <laughs> So, so let's talk about on a daily basis, um, on a daily basis, how does my type one affect you? The number one way, because, well, we both work a lot. Yeah. And so the majority, the bulk of the time that we spend together is actually spent together asleep in the bed, (laughs) um, uh, or supposedly asleep. (laughs) Now the depth of sleep is... (laughs) varies that's um, so true that that's that's sad that that's so true i think that's like where the you know those mattress advertisements tell you yeah that's true you spend all your life in the bed but ours is like a lot of that so um basically when we think about or at least when i think about sleeping with the dexcom i mean it's a series of waking and sleeping and light sleeping and waking. I guess it's, we don't have kids again, so we have no idea, but I imagine it's sort of like what having a, a young child is. If, it, if it's waking you up all the time, but this like a child, like that you like to say that never grows up. It's and, just, it like, never loves you back. It's like a weird sequel to Benjamin button where the baby doesn't get older <laughs> or younger, just stays a baby the entire time. It's like the worst movie ever. Um, so what do you, I mean, you've never, you've never um, been married or been really in a, long relationship with anybody else but me um so so you can't anybody else but you so you can't you can't um compare i have no idea yeah what it's like to even to be in a room with somebody else overnight that doesn't have a medical device on all the time exactly and so i we um we joke a lot there's like several there's several layers to this story sure so number one the first layer is you hate me because i can (laughs) sleep really well I can sleep anywhere. Like recently, I went on a, a hiking trip in Colorado, and one of the nights everybody woke up and was like, oh, I didn't sleep at all. The wind was so strong. And I was like, really? I didn't even notice it. I slept on the side of this mountain. It was great. So I can really fall asleep easily and stay asleep. But you, on the other hand, do not sleep easily beyond even your type 1 stuff. Even if your blood sugar is in great range, you don't sleep extremely well, I don't think. You're not as deep sleeper. That's probably true. And so... Sometimes I'll I'll be not asleep yet, and I'll hear the Dexcom go off. And when we say the Dexcom go off, that can mean what what's happening when that goes off. Like yeah, highs, could, lows, batteries changing out times. I mean, there's a it gives a lot of alarms, right? Sure. So I can always tell, you know, if it's like barely out of range. I know that's frustrating, but like sometimes um, 
it'll go off and you don't move. And we've talked about the fact that sometimes you'll sleep through, especially low alarms, I think, right? Is that, I'll sleep through all of them. You'll sleep through all It seems like, well, I feel, I feel like when you're high, you don't sleep as good as when you're low. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. Maybe not? Okay. So anyways, when you sleep through alarms, I don't like to bother you because I know sometimes you're just ignoring it like on purpose. At least I, that's what you say you are. But then again, sometimes you say you sleep through it and that bothers you and worries you when you sleep through, say, a low alarm. So I want to... Sometimes. Yeah. So how do you how do you decide if you hear the Dexcom alarm? How do you decide whether or not to wake me up or nudge me? Well, I don't try to listen. Like if you're if you're breathing, see if I can hear if you're like snoozing because you'll not snore, but you can definitely get into like a rhythmic breathing. And so I'll listen really really closely to see if I can hear that. And if I don't, I'll sort of start with like a light light nudge, so <laughs> which is what I'm doing right now. Nobody can see. Uh, just like a light nudge to see if it moves you at all. And if you're awake, you immediately just like, I'm not going to do it because it'll be like a terrible impression, but just like you just like exhale and growl at the same time. <laughs> it's like literally like I've poked a bear in its hibernation. <laughs> it's just like, and uh, you'll like get up or say, I hear it or something like that. Right. So that's the, that's the weird thing is that Kevin has to make this decision of whether he thinks I'm genuinely asleep um, and if so, he, he does try to wake me up very, very nicely, but you also have this worry. I feel like in your head that I am actually awake and that I am protesting, um, like right. the alarm. And silent so protest. I'm doing a silent protest that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna clear the alarm out. I refuse to move my head. I refuse to move my hand. Um, and if you do nudge me when I'm doing that, which has happened before, that makes me even more pissed off. Yes. And really, it's like poking the bear. Really. Yeah. It's like you get really frustrated. And now I do, I will say when you are asleep and I poke you and you wake up, you seem appreciative or you don't, you don't seem, no minute I say appreciative, but you're not angry at me. No, no. But if you are awake and I touch you, you definitely are angry. And you're, right. you, you like yell, not yell, but you growl back and say, I, I'm awake. Leave me alone. How do you feel when I'm in the bed testing or eating or moving the drawer we around? I had that, what was that, two nights ago when you were up all night? Yeah. Testing because your thing your, was out of calibration. Yeah. Yeah. It was my, it's the first time I've ever had a calibration error on the G6. Yeah. And you were, I heard you over there pricking your finger and uh, I felt bad. Yeah. Just because I was like, ah, oh, the thing won't act right. And we had both had a long weekend with not much sleep. So we were really wanting to get some quality hours of sleep. Um, and, but, but you're but, human, but you're human. Do you yeah, ever no, just, yeah, sometimes I'm like, won't you take it out in the other room? Some, <laughs> especially if it's going to be a minute. Like if you're going <laughs> to, you got to check your blood sugar, calibrate, you know, you could just, you're going to be awake. It's going out there and just <laughs> so because I'm such a good sleeper, I'll fall asleep before you come back in and won't even wake me up. It's like, just let me go to sleep. That'd be great. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm like you said, I'm human and I know that it's frustrating for you and but, but you said that you think that I actually literally get frustrated knowing that you're asleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely think sometimes maybe like when you leave to go out, you like, I don't want to say slam the door, but. No, I don't. You don't make extra noise. We don't even close the door. But yeah. no, I really I really don't. I do not. Li- trust me. I don't have frustrations with the fact that you are asleep. I'm frustrated with the fact that I'm having to do something that I can't sleep. 
you have admitted in front of multiple people that you'll, you like punch me if I'm snoring. So it's not like that. But that's a different thing. Yeah. That's oh, okay. totally different. No, it's totally different. Right. Um, so, okay. Obviously we do have a lot of issues with sleeping and it's there's a lot the of, there's a lot of, well, but that's also when a lot of the patience comes in, in our relationship with you dealing with this all the time, because we've talked about this before, like, a lot of my dealing with ty- with type one is in my head. It's me like making decisions about, you know, testing or bolusing or looking at my CGM or deciding what food I am or I'm not going to eat. But you're still dealing with it like all the time. Like I know how many times that I talk about it or I'll vent to you about it. So like it really is like an ever present thing in your life. Do it you is. think that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think I've almost, and I think T3, and I don't know, I'm not trying to like diagnose myself with disease or whatever, but it is a good representation because you are so close to it in terms of like how it affects your life. So like if we're going to go have a late lunch, like say on a Saturday, like we planned to do something around one or two, but then you get low at 12 and have to eat, you know, you, you're mad yeah. Not at me, but you're frustrated about, you know, now I can't go enjoy whatever I was planning on enjoying because I just had to eat whatever it was to get my blood sugar. How many up. times have I been mad on the way to sushi or something having to drink a juice box in the car? Oh, yeah. Or no, the <laughs> best is like when we go. So I, I guess we probably shouldn't like name drop any restaurants for better or worse. And uh, when you get there and you have to get like a real Sprite yes. to drink. And um, I know that frustrates you because you don't like real Sprite yeah. and you want to get something else, another type of drink, like a wine or whatever it is, yeah. something that's not going to make your blood sugar shoot up. But I think what you're saying is there are things that you and I could be doing the best we can to be happy, to be like kind of non-drama, like everything in our relationship might be like going perfectly, but there's this thing that can like affect so many aspects of it without that really isn't in our control. Right. Definitely. I mean, yeah. And not say ruin a day or night or whatever. Heck yeah, it can. It can certainly change it really quickly. Um, The food and like food, obviously food is such a big thing. It's such a big thing. And so many aspects of it are a big thing. Like just tonight, for example, we had dinner and you were, I don't know, you were doing something on your phone and I went in here, had my food all prepared, but I always feel bad eating before you because I know you have to generally like, especially if we're out to eat or whatever, you have to bowl us. Yeah. And that's like an extra like 30 seconds, which oh. doesn't seem like a huge deal, but it's just like, yeah. And that's not real. I mean, I wouldn't worry about the timing more of just than like the fact that I have such a complex relationship with food in that I am with every single thing I put in my mouth, you know, liquid, whatever meals, alcohol i have a cost benefit analysis that i'm doing all the time and it's just like i can't just eat something and then just go to the next thing or like just have that be that activity in and of itself like it has so many consequences and um yeah and you're also very different from me like we talk about i'm a snake in the sense that i could eat like one meal a day and be fine and to top it all off, I eat the same like two lunches every day of the year for like 10 years in a row. And you just, you wouldn't do that. You you like different types of food and food variety. Whereas I would probably be a better, not a better, let me say, it would be. You would easier. be a great T1D because you eat the same thing. Right. Yeah. I would be able to easily predict my carb intake. Now, obviously 
just because you eat the same thing every day doesn't mean your body reacts the same. We know that. Right. Um, but uh, I think that you're a foodie for sure. I am. That's true. Like great different types of food. And cocktails. And, and, and drinks, yeah. And I'm very much not. Like I'll eat the same. I could go to the restaurant and eat the same meal forever. Yeah. And, I, you know, that'd be fine with me. Right. That doesn't bother me. That's um, true. And I, I have frustrations with like um, – especially if I get low and I'm trying to like eat well or I've worked out a lot. So I don't, or like I've like burned some calories. Like I'll get frustrated with having just to intake more calories. And I think that creates a weird relationship with food. Um, Yeah. You can express some frustration with me when that happens. Like if we're both, you know, get in the bed or whatever, and you come in with something you're having to eat because you're low and I say something, stupidly on my part like not a sarcastic comment but like oh what's that you know and you're right. like it's the whatever i'm eating because i'm freaking 65 <laughs> you jerk that's sort of the the attitude of it and yeah. i quickly realized then i'm like oh i shouldn't have said that like that but it is interesting yeah i mean but i do think for a lot of the time you are you're so let me let me ask it this way I was going to say that for better or for worse, you're a safe place for me to vent those frustrations because, you know, as much as I have great friends, um, you know, at a certain point, like as sad as this sounds, like your friends only want to hear so much. Um, They don't want that. I don't think they want to know the ins and outs of my daily dealing with type one. No, yeah, that's the thing. Like I've, I've signed up for it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, there was sprung on me and, but with your friends, you don't want to overload them because you don't want to be that friend. Cause you have other, you know, when your friends start doing that to you, you're like, I don't care about your problems at my own. Problems. Right. Whereas a so, spouse or a significant other is very different. And I'm, I'm like you said, I'm generally very happy to listen to that type of venting just because I personally am very healthy, which I'm very thankful for, for the most part. And, I have family members that have also, you know, been really sick. So, you know, I understand it. And I'm very, like I said, I'm very appreciative of my own health. So I can certainly listen to you vent, complain, whatever you want to call it about your stuff you have to go through. Well, sure. But in the, that's very altruistic of you, but like in the, 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 that's like a very, what am I trying to say? A theoretical way of, of thinking about it. But I bet in the moment, there are times when you get tired of hearing about it. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm tired of hearing about this. You know, I'm a, it's like half self-preservation, half understanding. Yeah. It's a little, like a mixture of the two. You yeah. know, it's not going to do me any good to, although sometimes I forget that and I offer, I try to like offer suggestions about like. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because- or, or. You know, maybe you should try eating this or try doing that. And you sort of, I think, sometimes don't want to hear that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because I feel like for people who don't know us and probably other people that do know us don't know that that this is like probably our biggest, um, I don't want to say problem, but like I think if someone asked us to talk about how type one affects our relationship the like in a negative way um i think that we would both say that it is um the way that we differ in sometimes my frustration 
um, how our personalities different differ in maybe you're being a problem solver or a solution finder and what happens in those moments. So like, you know, I think you've talked about it with it being the fact that like you're a scientist. So like how, how do you think that like your personality and like the way you go about your daily life at work and just maybe how your brain is structured? Like what do you, how do you think that impacts? Right. Well, I just imagine, you know, when we talk about bolusing and, basal rates and things like that, you know, my thought is, okay, well, we control all the variables except one and move that one around and see what solves this or that problem. That's how you like approach, you know, a certain type of scientific problem. So I feel like that I'm always looking, saying there definitely is an answer. We just, you know, if you tried, not to say tried harder, but tried more or whatever the answer, like try this, try this, try this, try this. And you eventually will find the problem. I mean, solve the problem. I think that was a great, that you called a great thing right there when you said not try harder, but try this or try this. I think when I hear you try to problem solve or ask me like in an asking kind of way or in a, a, a questioning way, well, did you do this or have you tried this? What I hear is you devaluing all the effort that I did make right. that still, uh, still ended in a shitty day or a shitty week or, you know, um, I, all I hear is that you're, all I hear is that the thing, when I hear you give me a suggestion, it makes me think that you don't think about all the ways that I did try where it didn't work out still. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. And I try to be cognizant of that. You know, I don't want to be, um, like you said, just devaluing your previous efforts. But I'm also, you know, I always send you stuff on Twitter from like the closed loop development systems, like the Bigfoot. Can we say, talk about Bigfoot shout yeah. out? I follow them on Twitter, like different closed loop systems that are being developed. And I think that definitely within, I don't know. The well, next, there's plenty of people on those now. Right. No, I mean, but like real license was not like, you know, Oh, they're real bootleg uh, <laughs> things where people are asking you to send them your old Medtronic pumps in the mail or right. stuff like that. Um, but no, I think that that kind of stuff really interests me. And I feel like, but for you, you're just like, you deal with type one all day. It's not just like an interesting, curious hobby or something like that. Right. And, and so, maybe it's because that in the moment when I am frustrating, frustrated and I'm talking to you, it's like at the low point of what has happened Right. So that's like the moment that I don't want to hear about your idea that I can, how I can fix it. Um, because like when I hear you say like things about basal rate and bolusing, like I think immediately, you know, like when you talk about controlling all the variables, like I've learned over the years that there are so many variables that we don't control, like how old the insulin is, where your site is, how it's absorbing where my hormones are at in my cycle, um, how stressed I am, you know, exactly what I ate, how it was prepared that time versus the, the time before that at the restaurant or whatever. Whereas I think sometimes you genuinely think that there is just something I'm missing. Yeah, I probably get, that probably comes across as that, which is not good, obviously. <laughs> Because that's how my, like, when I'm not being able to solve problems, the first I was like, what am I missing? Oh, that's true. Okay. And, you know, we clearly, this is a problem that's solvable. It's just that we're missing some aspect of it that we're not 
figuring out. Yeah. I need to realize that you put, you look at that with like any aspect of your life. Like you would, you would also think critically like that with something maybe that you couldn't figure out at work. Or like, yeah, like when I was repairing the sink the other day and I couldn't figure out how to get it back together. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, But no, it's just, that's just how I approach things. Like everything is ultimately solvable. So like to me, it's like, oh yeah, everybody can have an A1C of like, I don't know what, what's the lowest A1C there can be five or something. Yeah. I mean, like that would be really, really, really tight control for a type one. Right. That's what I'm saying. So like, oh yeah, everybody could, if everybody could quit their job and focus on it a hundred percent of the time, they could all do you know, five, but that's probably not realistic. Yeah. And I have to work. You do have to work. That is true. You can't quit your job. Um, but one thing we did figure out with talking about it though, was that you told me that you actively try to not problem solve in that moment. Yes. I'll sometimes definitely in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, I wonder if we did this or this. And so Definitely, I'll say, you know what, Kevin, that's probably not the time to say that. And I'll just be like, yeah, that's that sucks, man. <laughs> not, you know, oh, well, what if you had bolus 30 minutes before your spin class versus 25 minutes before your spin class? Well, I'm not class. bolusing before any spin class. Well, maybe you should be. <laughs> um, um, we could, I've like been definitely in the literature on liver dumping and seeing, you know, what's going on with that. But that's yeah. a great example of, you know, it is like a, a self-preservation technique for everybody involved to just, you know, you just have to say, see, I think you're, I think that's so wrong that you're calling it self-preservation. I think that you have learned what I need in that moment and you're trying to give it to me. There is some of that. I mean, I think that is part of it is yes. I know that you don't, you're not coming to me and saying that because you want to to hear an answer. Like, should you bowl us an hour before or two hours before not bowl us or change your basal rate? But you just want to tell somebody and have them just basically agree with you and say, yes, this is nonsensical that 90% of the time you do this, this, and this, and you come out fine. And today you did the same exact thing and your number is 300. Yeah. So I get that. Well, and I think that's interesting because I think we were both actively trying to do what the other person, like, so I'm, I have actively, at least in the last like couple years, tried to be more level-headed about it and tried to really, and that's probably from you kind of not teaching me that, but kind of making me realize that I was putting a lot of self-worth on my A1C and my daily, you know, whether I was um, able to control my blood sugar or not. I was like attaching a lot of self-worth to that and a lot of emotion. And I've been trying to detach from the good days and the bad days. So like if I have a really good day that I'm not really sure what I did that day, I don't take that personally. I just celebrate the fact that it happened. But I also, if I have a bad day, also try to not take that personally either. So I think we've both kind of learned a little bit from each other um, in that I've tried to kind of take in the way you kind of look at things too more pragmatically. Is that the word? Yeah. Uh, didn't sound right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just part of it. I mean, that that's kind of the bad, um, the well, the bad, I will say the bad, the most negative part of it, I feel like, is, is that. And maybe sometimes some of the scary stuff that we deal with. Um, so, um, something happened, I think it was actually what it was like, was it last week? 
that I got so sick? Yes. Yeah. Was middle of the week last week. So last week uh, we ate some of Blue Apron meal that we've remade a couple different times. And just really shortly after I ate, um, I got really nauseated and got sick. And um, almost immediately I saw that my blood sugar was dropping, um, probably because I didn't digest that food that we had eaten. And I think you were like in the other room or something. Yeah, I think I was watching a game or something. Or I don't know. I was in a different room. Yeah, you were in here and I think I was in the TV room. And um, so I came in here and got some apple juice and I could still tell, like, you know, when you feel sick and you get sick and you can kind of tell whether like it's done or not. I could kind of tell that like I was not finished getting sick. And so I kept trying to drink more apple juice and I kept throwing it up. Um, and my blood sugar kept getting lower and lower and lower. Um, and I was getting really worried because it's one thing to have a low and just kind of eat all the food that's around you. And you know, it's going to go up eventually, even if it's like a scary low, you know, it's going to go up. But like, that was the first time in a long time that I have ever been nauseated for like a long period of time to where I was genuinely worried that I was not going to be able to ingest enough carbs and keep them in me for long enough for my body to um, go back up. Right. And I don't think I realized that. Like, so you get low a lot. Um, I think that's probably the first time as far as I can remember that those two things ever like colliding at the same time, like you getting low and also feeling sick. You know, Agree. You don't get sick a lot. We're not, we're not like sickly people in that regard. And so it was sort of maybe I just didn't realize the seriousness of that situation. Yeah, because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like when I first texted you to say we need to decide whether I need to go to the hospital, you kind of came in and you were kind of like, what? Like you were very. I thought you, you were, were being dramatic. Right. And then I was also, again, science problem solving. I was like, I feel like even if you eat. Like just drink the apple juice because even if you throw it up, like if even if it stays in there for two or three minutes, <laughs> you're probably absorbing some carbs, like in the small intestine. You know, as it first passes through, you're getting some carbs in there. So, do you still think I was being dramatic? Oh uh, no, no, okay, not now. But I'm just saying, like at the time, I think maybe I, okay. I don't know if I, you know, maybe maybe you were upset before that or something. I'm not sure why. I thought you were just being like extra dramatic that night. But yeah. Again, that goes back to. I can't feel the way you feel. I can't that's, feel that you feel very different. And you know that it's different to me. It's just like, well, she's low again. She's been that's low before. That's so true. That's so true. Um, because because in that moment, I was shaking. Um, I was like 50 or something. And I was shaking from getting nauseated. You know how you kind of get shaky from throwing up. And I was shaky from being low. And I was drinking this gross apple juice that was making me even more sick. And, um, I was just really worried. It was getting really late at night and I was scared that I was going to just drop really fast and maybe we didn't even have time to get to the hospital. I don't, I don't know. And here's where we can go ahead and say I'm a bad diabetic and I don't have a glucagon here. Um, very upset about not being able missing a chance to maybe use the glucagon. Yeah. When we were in high school, Kevin, the coolest thing he thought about me being diabetic was the fact that possibly one day, he could shoot this thing in me 
he kept, he always would say he would shoot it into my heart, which is not what you do with a glucagon. <laughs> yeah, I'm not remembering. I don't know if it's like it's some Nick Cage movie. I don't know if it was The Rock or whatever where he has to like jab this yeah. huge needle into sure. somebody's heart to like resuscitate them. Right. And I was like, no, that's not actually how a glucagon works, Kev. But um, this is, you could do it in the heart, though. After a while, I just didn't get a new glucagon prescription because I. Always feel my lows, always get woken up by the Dexcom. I never get super, super scary low. So, but I just never thought about being nauseated and not being able to actually eat. I have a question. Yeah. If we'd had the glucagon at the house that night, would I have gotten to do it? No, I would have done it myself because I felt fine. Like if I, I mean, I think the whole point is like, the whole point is you're not supposed to take a glucagon until you're really, really low. Like Like how low? Um, I mean, I think I would have to have started like not being responsive before it would make sense to do the glucagon. That's what I, that's my understanding, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you should probably check that out. I should. I'm getting another prescription. People, please don't judge me. Um, but okay. So now thinking back, I mean, um, in that moment, like, you, you know, I was going to ask you if you feel that immediate worry that I feel, and it sounds like you really don't. I didn't. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't at the time because I, I didn't know, you know, if you were just being overly dramatic about mm. the situation. But I think I definitely realized it quickly once I came in here that it was very serious. Mm. Because you have to remember that I feel really bad in that moment. And also, it's a lot harder to think when your blood sugar's low. So, like, in the moment, I would actually appreciate, like, if that ever happens again, like, and I say... Um, like we might need to go to the hospital. Like, I think you came in and you were like, well, what do you want to do? Or do you want, and I, I kind of had to say like, let's go to Walgreens and get apple juice or whatever, whatever we were going to get Gatorade or something. I, I don't even, I couldn't even hardly think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, you know, again, I probably just didn't, I underestimated it. I think some of that comes back to the fact that a lot of times you, um, I don't want to say hide your numbers from me. Or, but you're not, you get some, I don't want to, ashamed is probably not the right word, but like you don't like to share that information with me sometimes when you don't feel good about it. Yeah. And I can tell, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we've, I think we said this uh, the other day, like we've, uh, we've known each other longer than we've not known each other at this point in our lives. That's true. So, I mean, I know when you're upset about, and not like upset, upset, but like frustrated about your numbers. And so I don't even have to ask. So a lot of times I don't. So. I think you know that. Like I know when you check your blood sugar and it's a number that you don't like, you're not proud of, you sort of get pissy about it. And <laughs> then I won't ask about it because I don't want to even open the box, but you know, Pandora's box about it. But then. So are you saying that you put that same thought process into when I'm low that you try to leave me alone? Yeah, probably. Okay. Like subconsciously even maybe just like, yeah. I'm like oh, I can tell that she's frustrated with that. So I'm not even going to insert myself. Yeah. That's, that makes sense. Um, but I do like that you sometimes, it's, it's, I always have like, especially recollections of it when we're out is you check your blood sugar and you hide it. <laughs> like you, you try to do it in a way that's like conspicuously, I can't see it. <laughs> like, it's either like if we're sitting at a bar, you like do it in your lap or if like it's on a table like cover it with your hand so I can't see it, which I don't, you know, I get it. But at the same time, I don't get it. Cause like, if it's something it's like, you don't want me to know, but then you want me to know that you're having to deal with this. And I'm not, 
<laughs> so, for example, if we're eating and you're like high, you're like, you know, well, enjoy your food because I'm high and I can't. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't know about this whole you tell you saying that I hide hide the Dexcom. You definitely hide it. You hide it a lot. You have to show me next time that I do that. All right. Because I don't. Speaking of, I just did you just hear that beep? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> I'm two sixteen, and so mm-hmm. I just bolused. Um, You're for, hyped for the podcast. Yeah, I'm very excited for the podcast, <laughs> and it clearly drove my blood sugar up. So. Um, but I think we've been like kind of in a downer. I think we've kind of been talking about like down subjects for a while. So let's, it's not all negative. I mean, we have funny things that come out of my diabetes, even if they aren't funny in the moment. Right, Kev? There are some funny stories. Are we telling the New Orleans story? Or are we not telling the New tell Orleans story? Tell the New story? Orleans story. I'll authorize it. Okay. As the owner of it. Okay. Well, when we were prepping to decide what to talk about on this podcast, um, the first thing that I thought about was the New Orleans story. And Kevin was adamant that I could not tell the New Orleans story. So, um, but then he's warmed to the idea. So there are several New Orleans stories. That sure. Everybody told. has a New Orleans story. I mean, come on, but we're about six hours from New Orleans and uh, we go down there fair, a fair bit, but this was about 2007, 2008. Um, and we had not really been there many times, but at that point, and this was also pre like, CGM, pre-Uber, pre-apps you know, apps to tell you where everything was. We were kind of just flying free, um, and we were down there for an Ole Miss game, right? Yes, Ole Miss versus Tulane um, playing football in the Superdome. Right, yeah, go so Rebels. Not, not a big crowd for that game. No, and um, so anyway, we were staying at a hotel that had like, we had a couple different rooms, our friends had different rooms and i was not a big bourbon street person still am not a bourbon street person and same and uh i think i took a taxi back to the hotel much earlier than than y'all did uh, than you did and some of our friends that were there did and i remember i can distinctly remember testing my blood sugar at that hotel and i think it was like 43 or something like that and that was back when i really just had to wait my body told me that I was low. Um, so by the time I would figure out I was low back then, it was usually like not a good feeling because I would be low enough that it would be like really shaky and really scary. So <clears throat> I think I'd like eaten like a fruit strip or maybe a couple of fruit strips at that point. And before we had CGMs, you really couldn't like, it's not like you can test your blood sugar every 30 seconds. So, or like every minute. So you're constantly concerned that like it's not going up, it's not going up. So like I used to have a lot more anxiety with lows before CGMs than I do now. So Kevin and his friends get back and I, I, John Michael may have gotten, our friend John Michael may have gotten back before you. Regardless, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I told John Michael I needed something to drink. Like I needed like a, a big, um, like a fountain drink. I don't Can think you- we should, we should just, since we're going to tell a story, it's like, not a great reflection on me. <laughs> we should also mention that John Michael was answering the phone at the hotel desk <laughs> at that point. That's not his fault. Well, no, he was down there looking for some snacks and yeah. uh, nobody was there. Yeah. So part uh, of the story is John Michael left the, the hotel 
room and was gone for a couple minutes. And I think I thought you were going to call for room service. Yeah. So I called to ask like whether there was a vending machine or drinks anywhere in the hotel. And when I called downstairs, a person just said hello. And <laughs> I recognized the voice and I said, John Michael. And he said, there's no one down here. Um, so he was just answering the phone. Yeah. The <laughs> but anyway, the whole point of that story is to say that um, Kevin got back in the middle of all of this and John Michael was gone and Kevin didn't know what was going on. So you were just trying to go to sleep and I was like in the same room as you and I didn't, I hadn't turned the light off and you were trying to fall asleep. And I think you were a little, you know, you'd had fun. You had some new Orleans fun. And uh, so you said something like, why is the light on or turn the light off or something like that? Right. Yeah. I was, I was curious as to why the light was not being turned off because it was clearly time to go to sleep. Time for Kevin to go to sleep. Yes. His late, you know, his heavy sleeperness. And so I, of course, in that moment was frustrated talking about frustrations and said, looked over at him and said, Kevin, I can't, my blood sugar's low, meaning I can't go to sleep right now. My blood sugar's low. And Kevin, without missing a beat, Responds back to me in this mocking, like two year old toddler voice. I can't, my blood sugar is dead. <laughs> and all I could think was, I didn't react, but I, all I could think was, you are going to regret this so much in the morning. Like, yeah. all I could think was, I hope he remembers saying this because I'm going to rag him about this. And um, next so- morning, next year, five years <laughs> later, two years later. <laughs> so it is now a. It is literally an inside joke with our whole friend group. Um, just anytime, just if anybody says the word low, even like somebody will break out the impression of you saying, I can't, my blood sugar's low. So, but shout out to John Michael because he walked about a mile to find me a 60 ounce Sierra Mist from like an Arby's. Yeah. Cause if you're, again, not sure if you've been to New Orleans, we were staying in the central business district, which after like 9 p.m., there's no food options available. So I think John Michael walked all the way back to the quarter to like some Wendy's or something at the edge on like the West edge of the quarter and procured a big gulp. And it was funny. Cause we were talking about that, that like even my friends, like they all have ways that they're affected by my diabetes as well. Like that right. night he, yeah. um, he would have probably gone to crystal by himself, but you know, <laughs> He may have gotten a crystal, but he also came back and got me my drink. And by then, probably my blood sugar was all the way back up and I didn't need it. But it was the thought that counted. That's true. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there, there's funny things like that that, like, come out of the fact of you being a human, you being frustrated and just wanting to sleep. But it just turns into a funny story, at least. Yeah, it does. I mean, and there's <laughs> there's several other ones, like, you know, of the similar nature where, you know, frustration on your part or my part just boils over. And then it just gets to the point that where it is almost humorous. Sometimes. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You think we just, sometimes we end up just laughing at yeah, these arguments. Just, yeah, that's true. To the point where it's just, it's just like silly as it can be. Cause we both are so like, um, is indignant the word? Like we're both so like, just, we're we'll just English major. Don't say that. Um, we're both so like, we'll, we'll get so like, um, stuck in our position that it'll end up seeming like, just silly. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, just, yeah, it just, because the fact that we're arguing about like something that my body is or isn't doing properly is kind of hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. your pancreas is the problem, not me. <laughs> uh, us arguing about it is not going to fix your pancreas. Um, so. Um, so, so let's talk about, um, 
let's talk about when uh, you wore the Dexcom. Yes. So let us talk about that. Yeah. So I was getting the G6 and I had a couple G5 sensors left. And I kept telling Kevin that whenever I get the G6, you're going to use my receiver. And I honestly was hoping you were going to run out of them. You weren't going to have enough. I was not going to run out. I was going to make sure that you had one that you had to use. But like you've told me since then that Craig actually let his friend wear the new one. That's true. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure how that uh, I didn't get to wear the new one. I had to wear. So, if anybody's listening, busted, not new hotness. Right. If anybody's listening, doesn't understand what we're talking about. The G6 Dexcom is like a lot easier to insert. It's automated. Um, and Craig let his friend wear the G6, and he wore a G5. Whereas the whole point of making Kevin wear this was to make him use the like old one. Torture. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted him to use the torture device. One. Medieval torture device. So. Um, I was really excited and tell us about the insertion. First thing about the insertion was had to shave a bit of your belt, of your of, belly, of my, what do you call it? A belly of, of my, your chest or my, like your abdomen, my six pack. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> comment as to that. Um, I had to shave, which was, which was pretty interesting and it's growing back pretty good. Yeah. But, um, so I had to clear clear an area for that to go onto my abdomen. Okay, nobody wants to hear about your belly hair. And uh, <laughs> uh, and so then the insertion on the G five is manual. Is that the correct way to describe it? Yeah, it's about it? a two inch long, pretty pretty gnarly gauge needle. Yeah, what gauge is it? Do you know? Uh, I don't know the gauge, but it's not it's not small. Ten. No, it's not ten gauge. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, it uh, feels like a ding age. Um, and so you have to push it in. So it's like you have to like one, two, three, go. And just like like ripping off a bandage, you have to do it. And I think I did it pretty good. I, I don't remember. There wasn't a lot. You of- did. It pissed me off because I wanted it to be like a lot. You like just did it really fast. And you were like, okay. And I'm like. I was wait it out. Like, it was just gonna get done. I was like, one, two, three, go. I thought at least we would stand there for like 20 minutes. And you'd be like, I don't want to push it. I don't want to push it. And you just did it. I think I was quicker to do it on myself than I was when I did it for you sometimes. Yeah, you did it for on my arm one time. So um, so putting it in was not that bothersome. I, I didn't mind it as much as I did my finger pricks. I hated oh my gosh, he was such a baby about his finger pricks. And that's like, I, I literally had no idea that you would even react to the they fact that you had to prick your sore. finger. Like the next day I'd be at work typing on my keyboard and they would hurt. Y'all, I did it on the lowest setting that you could possibly do the Lancet on, and he still acted like I was killing him. That's bizarre. Um, I told him, you know, I just didn't even think about the fact that you would freak out about me needing to calibrate the G5 because you have to calibrate the G5. And that's another thing that's weird, or not weird, but one thing we found out about Kevin is he just has like a kind of lower blood sugar than I think. Um, like I think you're resting. I don't. It's not a resting blood sugar, but just kind of your baseline blood sugar was like in the 70s or 80s, um, kind of low 80s. And so the problem was the G5 has My such general demeanor. Just, the, the, just chill. Anyway, the G5 has such a small margin for error in thinking that you're like in the 70s versus low. Right. So that we were constantly trying to make the Dexcom understand that you weren't low. But I don't. I'd be like literally though. I mean, I have calluses on my hands, maybe not on my fingertip more, but I don't think I have like delicate hands mm-hmm. by any stretch of the map. It's literally, 
it hurt. I got telling you, it was hurting I'm, the whole I time. I feel really bad for you. But it, <laughs> <laughs> sarcasm was just like dripping. Um, the insertion was not bad. The worst part by far, like so by far, was the sleeping. Yeah. So tell I us about thought, how did it affect you? Like, again, and I, we, I mentioned earlier that I was such a great sleeper, but I had it tested because not being able to sleep, like I thought, oh, that's fine. I'll, I had it on my right side of my abdomen. Mm-hmm. So I thought, cool, I'll sleep on my back or I'll sleep on my left side. No big deal. Yeah. Like of my, you know, sleeping options, only one of four main options is, is, is ruled out. It was the worst nights of sleep I've gotten in a long time. And when we were talking about it the other day, you were like, yeah, I wore it for a week. And I was like, Kevin, you wore it for less than three days. And you were like, no, I really think it was longer. Ten days. And we went over it and you remembered that it was only two and a half days. It was so (laughs) terrible. Um, Because you can't, it's like an itch that you can't scratch. Like you don't want to sleep on any side but that one. Right. Even mine, not administering, like, you know, not doing anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like the, you could feel the, you could feel the the fiber inside, right? Yeah, yeah. just and like laying on it would hurt. Yeah, and because my body, like, because I just don't, I'm not used to having a sensor on, so I would just roll over in the middle of the night and I'd wake myself up. Right, right, right. And um, you know, and like I said, that's only having one thing. You have two things on you because you're like a robot at this point. But you know. If you have, and the Omnipod's about three times as big as that Dexcom. Right. So I can't even imagine, you know, and you talk a lot about how you strategize. I did. Line your Dexcom and Omnipod up. But yeah. If I had two things, like, I don't know how I'd sleep. Yeah. So I usually put like, if my Dexcom is on like the front side of my like left abdomen, then I'll put the Dexcom somewhere also on my left side. So like either lower abdomen on the left or like, my upper back on the left or my left arm, but it's still, like you said, it just takes out that whole side. Right. Yeah. And so oddly enough, like I mentioned earlier, like I'll wake up for a lot of your alarms. <laughs> like I will literally, this is talking about across a king size bed Right. And with this thing on my yeah. nightstand, you will wake up. Yeah. Yeah. From my side of the bed. And yeah. I'll, I'll hear it. Or even when it's in the bed, sometimes I'll hear yeah. it. And when it was though on me and it was my Dexcom, <laughs> I didn't hear anything <laughs> so for some reason. I don't know. There's something to that. But I slept through several alarms. And I remember waking up and hearing you like curse under your breath and walking across the room. being like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Come over and turn his alarm off. So, so that those two nights, I had to deal with Kevin's alarms and my alarms because he was legit sleeping through his alarms. I don't know why, but it was like making me laugh. But also, like you said, want to kill you in the middle of the night because it was a fake alarm. You weren't low. It was just that you were probably like 75. And so it thought you were constraints pretty tight. Yeah, we had that. Well, no, no. But I had your low down pretty low because I was trying to make it not alert you. But it was just really funny that after all the times you've woken up for my alarm that you did not wake up on when it was on your side of the bed. Um, But it was interesting to wear like I wore it. I think I wore it for about 47 days. And uh, <laughs> in those days, I did a lot of activities. Um, like I went to the gym and it was weird. And again, this oh, is. Oh, yeah. How was CrossFit? This goes back to you get used to it if you wear it enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't think about it. But like I was just worried about hitting it the whole time with the bar or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then on Sunday, I went for a run with the dog and 
I was very curious to see that because I was like, oh, I bet my blood sugar is going to drop a lot when I do like a long run. And because it didn't at the gym either. Like we, I think we did a really like a pretty like intense workout and it didn't really move the needle at all. Right. Your, um, your blood sugar never went above like 108. And that was when you were eating like a big meal. And then yeah, the, the highest I think it got was after I did a long run, I think it was like seven miles came home, showered, and then ate like a huge meal. Yeah. Like a post-run, just like Sunday afternoon binge meal. Yeah. And it literally... It I may have like, gone up to like 120 for I was a like, hot minute. I was so ready for it to just like skyrocket like I see yours do all the uh-huh. time. Well, no, that wasn't going to happen. Because I mean, I I don't remember what it was, but like something super carby, like chips and all kinds of stuff. I was ready to see the 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 rise and it just never happened it slowly slowly over the like span of an hour and a half worked its way up to like over a hundred and that was it then it went right back down into like 90 and the interesting thing was watching your straight line like it was the straightest of straight lines like while you ran the dog like it during activity no change it was crazy um but so what about and then see also not to say that that's a bad thing or i wanted you to have to deal with alarms but Mainly the problem with wearing a CGM is when it's alarming you like all day, every day or whatever, if you're trying to have really tight control. Um, So you didn't really even have to, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to diminish what you did, but it was impossible for us to give you that aspect of it as well because your blood sugar was just in range. I carried the the PDM. That was Uh, No, that's the Omnipod. You carried the receiver. Carried the receiver around all day and it really never did anything. Right. Um, it was just a matter of carrying it. That was the other, like, to me, interesting thing we've talked a lot about um, over the years, the difference between men and women. Yeah. Like, if I was a man, I would be really into having it on my iPhone, having that capability. Yeah. But whereas you, as a female, you carry a purse. Not that all females have to carry purses. You particularly yeah. carry a purse most of the time. And so you always have somewhere to put it. But, like, I, ha- I hate having anything in my pockets. Uh-huh. Like, when I go to the store or anywhere I go in my car where I can just take just my car key without my like office keys on it. I'll take that. Yeah. And so I don't want anything in my pockets extra. Yeah. And so having to have the PDM. Was that just like, even just that amount of time, it was weird. Yeah. Like it was enough to be like, wow. Yeah. I was like, I would toss this thing in a minute. Give me that. (laughs) Give me that iPhone or smartphone. Well, and even then though, you might, if you were diabetic, you might have to carry, you would probably have to carry like a meter or an insulin pump, you know, also as well. So, yeah. So that kind of thing is, those are the types of things you don't think of. Obviously the, the, the CGM goes on you, but you have to carry the receiver around or you, you can, that's an option. have to carry that around, which is, I would not want to do that. Yeah. Did you look at it a good bit during the day? Yeah, I would take it out. Yeah. Leave it on my desk at work. And Did just, that kind of like give you any insight as to like me touching mine all the time or anything like that? Yeah, sort of like a fun little game. Just check it. But mine varies so much less than yours. Well, like we talked about, it's kind of like, I think I've said this before. It's like a grade that I get constantly all day, every day. So yes. it's like, it can be a good thing, but it can also be like yeah, the think, worst. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> like, you should, you know, you should check your CGM less. You think I should check it less? I, mean, I think not you. Yeah. People. people should. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I mean, I get you have to check it for it to be valuable. Right. But maybe. Well, that's why I don't have it on my phone, actually, because I get enough 
notifications and information from my phone that I feel like. Yeah, if you had to pick it up to look at it every time, man, that'd be bad. Yeah, and I also so, just feel like it would kind of get like devalued here. from because it's just going to be one more thing that your phone is telling you. I don't know. I just like that it, it being on a totally different device. It's much more serious than your phone. Right, right. Um, like your phone is an entertainment device. Right. Well, that's true. This thing is all business. Right. <laughs> um, well, we'll probably wrap it up, but I did want to ask you one other thing. So we've talked about, we kind of talked about the fact that like you knew me before I was diagnosed. We were dating before I was diagnosed. So like there was never really a time where you had to decide like, okay, am I going to get into this relationship with this girl who has diabetes? Like you wouldn't go on a first date and I have to tell you like, oh, this is my Omnipod or this is my Dexcom and this is what right. I deal with every day. And um, so in a way you didn't really, I don't want to say didn't have a choice because that sounds, that doesn't, that sounds negative and I'm not trying to say that. Um, but in a way this was just kind of like, it came this came with me, you know, um, this was just an aspect that, that was going to be there if it was going to be a relationship with me. Um, just like your mom. Yeah. Just like my mom. So do you ever think about what, do you ever think about what our relationship or my life or how we would interact with each other? Do you ever think about how that would be different if I didn't have diabetes? I don't think it would be a lot different. I mean, I don't think, I mean, obviously, like random experiences that we've had because of that would be different. Like they would not have occurred in that same manner. Like the New Orleans story would not have happened, but maybe some other story would have. I don't think it is a a huge factor, positive Mm -hmm. or negative. But Mm -hmm. then again, it's hard. Like you said, since I said, you know, yes, we dated before that, but I don't remember much of that. There's nothing I recall about that. Like you don't remember pre-diabetes Courtney. No. Yeah. So I don't either. Like Courtney is diabetic Courtney. There is right. no other Courtney. So, but also it is, like you said, it's different now. I can't imagine maybe not being a 35 year old, but say being a 25 year old and going on a date with somebody and them saying, Oh, I'm type one. I'm a nice guy. So I don't think that would really, I don't think I'd be like, I'm probably not going to go out with her again because she's type one and you know, she'll potentially have all these complications or something like that. Like that's a, Poor idea on my part, you know, but I don't, is that something you're much more immersed in the diabetic community than I am? Is that something that people experience? Well, oh, I don't, you know, there are some, there are, I have listened to the, some podcasts about dating um, and just kind of deciding when to tell people. Like some people say. You have to be a first date thing, right? Oh, uh, I don't, some people don't do that. I mean, cause think about it. That's what I was about to say. Like I, when I ask you that question about our relationship to me, um, I have such a problem, like kind of like even separating myself from the disease and that some people might think that that sounds bad, but when that's what you've known about yourself for as long as you can remember, it's kind of hard to figure out like where, like where does diabetes end and where do I begin? Like, I, I don't really know that sometimes. And sometimes I overshare or, I like, I want to be a good advocate and I'm not the type that like doesn't. Um, and I'm not saying that this, there's anything wrong with this, but there are some people who are just more personal and more, um, um, not secretive, but just, they just don't talk about their diabetes. They don't show their devices. They, um, 
just keep it more to themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've known people that I'll find out. That yeah. You like, find out. Like, oh, I worked. I had a, I had a law clerk work in our office that I found out three months into her clerking that she had type one. And I was like, we could have been talking about this for three months. Um, but yeah. So Probably wise move on her part to not tell you why. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, I, I guess I feel like with that oversharing comes the fact that I kind of identify myself like, I use diabetes to like um, as part of my personality and as part of my identity. So it's funny to me that you would say that our relationship wouldn't be different if I didn't have diabetes. I don't think it would be. I mean, I don't, that to me, it doesn't define you. It doesn't define me. Huh? It is just, it's there. It's sort of in the background. You know, it's this thing that you, you deal with, we deal with at different times, but it doesn't, I don't think it would change anything. That's really nice to hear. Um, not to say I think that you think about it all the time or or that it bothers you all the time, but so much of what I deal with is like inside my head. So I think of all like the thoughts and time and, and brain space that I deal with thinking about diabetes. And I guess maybe I think that that kind of populates everything around me. Maybe it doesn't. Probably not as much as you think. Yeah. I mean, in, in a negative way. I mean, I think obviously me and your mom yeah, are, you know, concerned and your dad. I mean, we think about it, but we don't, it doesn't probably consume us as much as you think it does in a negative way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't really imagine it would be any different, nor do I imagine like, gosh, it would be nice if she didn't have this. So you don't have random non-diabetic wife fantasies. I do not have (laughs) non-diabetic wife fantasies. They're all, they're always diabetic. They're always just diabetic in your, in your fantasies. So yeah, they're always just, just different diabetic women. Just different. Yeah. They're whoever you fantasize about they're they have diabetes. Yes. Okay. Got it. That's, that makes me feel better. Um, well, we'll end on that, on that random note. Um, Thanks for talking to me, uh, Kev. Yeah, this was fun. I think. Thanks for Craig for yeah, know, Craig. T3, thank you. T three Ds, a voice out there. We're so important people. <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. When you're down and troubled. The Threes is a production of Beta Cell and is produced by me, Craig Stewing. A very special thanks to Courtney and Kevin for letting us into their lives. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Beta Cell wherever you listen to podcasts to get all of our shows downloaded automatically onto your listening device whenever there's a new episode. If you love any or all of the Beta Cell shows, you can support us on Patreon. There you can get bonus clips as well as our brand new supporter-only show, out of range after dark. The only way you can hear that is to support us. So what are you waiting for? Our credit music is by the really, really, really talented Nina Raganese. Thanks, Nina. I'm Craig, and this is The Threes. You've got a friend If the sky Dark and full of clouds and
Let's go.